Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Hebrews chapter 7 and reading for our text, verse 17. Verse 17. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 17. A great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood, and that priest, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, I want to just read the leader to this chapter and the Apostle bring forth a teaching on Melchizedek. It seems strange that the whole teaching, the whole time, is just based on firstly three verses in Genesis and Genesis 14. We have in that chapter, if we look down to verse 18, this is when uh, Abraham had gone and rescued his nephew Lot from uh, those that had taken them captive, the five kings that had fought against Sodom. And as he returned from that war. Then we read, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he, that is, Abraham, gave to Melchizedek, he gave him tithes of all. And then the next time that we read of Melchizedek is in the Psalms of David, Psalm 110 and verse 4. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest for ever after the order of Melchizedek. Now you would remember that this is a psalm that our Lord brought before the scribes and the Pharisees. It is spoken of here in Matthew 22, verse 42, the Lord saying to the Pharisees as they gathered together, what think ye of Christ, whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying? Now this is where our Lord quotes from Psalm 110 in the first verse of the psalm. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. 
If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. And of course the Lord was pointing to this psalm, pointing to uh, the Lord of heaven and earth, Jehovah, saying unto uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, sit thou on my right hand until thine enemies be made thy footstool. And if Christ is David's son, how is he in existence now? They couldn't fathom this. And obviously what the Lord was pointing out was what they were stumbling at. They said that thou art not yet 50 years of age. And how canst thou be before Abraham? Our Lord had said, before Abraham was, I am. And he's pointing here, the eternal, eternal existence of Jesus, the eternal Son of God. But in connection with our text this evening, it is the showing that this Son, including that which speaks of Melchizedek, thou art a priest, Jesus is a priest, forever after the order of Melchizedek, that is so vital, so important. And this then is reinforced by the Apostle in the Epistle here. Now, there are four times, actually, that the statement in our text is set forth in Scripture, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It is there in Psalm 110, firstly, and then we have it by the Apostle in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6, sorry, verse 5 and 6, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest for ever after the order of Melchizedek. So first is in Psalm 110, now it is in Hebrews 5 and verse 6, and then in the chapter where we are, uh, Hebrews 7, We have it in our text in verse 17. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and repeated again in verse 21. At the end of that verse, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We often felt that where things are reinforced in Scripture, it, it shows the importance of them. We, we think of the uh, creation account. Of course, there is one account, but really it flows right through the Scriptures. But then we have the law of God, which is set before us in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. We have the birth of our Lord set before us in Matthew and in Luke. And we have the sufferings and death of our Lord set forth in all of the Gospels. And here we have the priesthood of our Lord stated in 
The same words, though, in, in, in Psalm 110, spelled slightly differently, but it is set forth exactly the same statement these four times. We may say, well, why, why is it so important that man should need a priest? He does need a priest. He does need one. One that is to stand between him and God, one to appear in the presence of God on his behalf. And because we have sinned, it is vital then that that high priest have somewhat to offer and that there be blood shed, that there be a, a way of entrance into the holiest of all. One that is appointed to uh, appear in the presence of God for us. As sinners, it is absolutely vital that we do not stand in the presence of God in our own righteousness and with none to stand between and with no high priest. So the high priest is, is very vital. Now up until the time that our Lord Jesus Christ came and was fully revealed, God was pleased to set forth the teaching, the need of a high priest and what that high priest would do uh, right through the Old Testament. It's bound up with the moral law, the law of Moses on Mount Sinai and also the ceremonial law. But then when our Lord came, then our Lord is the great antitype. He is the one that all of those that have gone before pointed to. And so he takes then precedence over them all. He replaces all that has gone before. All that had gone before was pointing to our Lord. And this is what is then being set forth before us here. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So I want with the Lord's help firstly to look at the Levitical priesthood and its order. In other words, uh, how it was structured and how it flowed uh, from one to another. What was the arrangement of it and then secondly the priesthood of our Lord and as a type after the order of Melchizedek what is that arrangement and then to look at the blessings the blessings of the New Testament the blessings of our Lord as our great high priest and I'd say at the start, the, the whole idea of this and many things in Scripture, the Lord does by contrast. He puts two things side by side. Right at the very start, you have the worship of Cain and the worship of Abel. The Lord having respect to Abel's offering, but not to Cain's. The Lord is giving us a comparison. The two that went up to the temple to pray, the Pharisee, the publican, a comparison with the two. 
And you'll see that running right through scripture. And here we have it again. Two priesthood. Levitical and one after the order of Melchizedek. It is a contrast and it needs to be so that we see more clearly God's provision, not in the type, but in the reality in the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So firstly, the Levitical priesthood. And of course, the very words of it uh, signifying that it flowed forth from Levi. And so we have Abraham, we have Isaac, we have Jacob, we have then the twelve sons of Jacob, and when God brought them out of Egypt and into the wilderness, then he appointed for them that the Levites were the Lord's portion, and the Lord was their portion, that when they came into the land of Canaan, that they would not have any land by lot, but they would be to the Lord. And so their work was to the sanctuary, and from Levi came Aaron, and from Aaron came the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. And so the sons of Aaron were those that by descent each took that office of the priesthood. <coughs> so that is the, the order of it. Once it was established, then they uh, looked into that order. We think of when they came back from uh, Babylon, then they had to look into the genealogies and they had to make sure that that order was there and that the priests did go through from that line. The work then of those priests was set forth in, in great detail. It was them that had to go into the holiest of all. It was them that offered the sacrifices of the blood of bulls and of goats. And because they were sinners themselves, they had to offer first for themselves and then for the people. The garments of the high priest were very symbolical and especially what is precious is the stones that were on their breastplate which had engraved on them the names of the tribes, the twelve tribes of Israel. And then they had on their shoulders as well those stones, ouches engraved again with the names of the children of Israel. And so there is a very visible uh, portraying of when that priest went into the holiest of all, he was going in with the names of the children of Israel. He was going on behalf of them, appearing in the presence of God for them. And so the uh, Levitical priesthood, it, it was a very visual uh, office and men saw them attending to uh, all what was given them to do on, on their behalf. And whatever that was done, it was done for that time present. It could, the bullocks and bulls and goats, the blood that was shed, could never ever put away sin. Paul is very clear of that in Hebrews. 
and those priests, they died and it had to pass on to the next one and to the next one. So it wasn't a continuing one, it wasn't an unchanging priesthood, it was a changing one. And uh, this is the Levitical one. It, It had two parts to the law. It had the moral law, the Ten Commandments that were given on Mount Sinai. And then it had the ceremonial law, which was all of the offerings under the Levitical law, which was the gospel in their day. That was not what, it wasn't the covenant. The covenant was in the law of Moses, the soul that doeth these things shall be justified in them. And uh, he that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them, there's a curse upon them. But the uh, ceremonial law was ceremonially doing those things that were pointing to our Lord, pointing to the gospel. That was the way of escape from the condemnation of the law. But whereas there was no salvation through the deeds of the law, because everyone that was to try and fulfil the law, they couldn't. There was sin mixed with everything. By the law is the knowledge of sin. There's not salvation. By the deeds of the law, no man living shall be justified. And of course, with the ceremonial law, it was just pointing to Christ. And those that had faith, those that could look past those uh, types and those shadows, they could see him that was to come. The one that Moses said, A prophet shall the Lord thy God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me him shall ye hear. So that then was the Levitical priesthood and its order. And Paul makes here that it was not perfect. If it was perfect, there would be no need of another priesthood. There would be no need of anything more. And obviously there is more. There is Christ coming. There is this priest after the order of Melchizedek. So then secondly, what is the order of the priesthood of our Lord, which is after the order of Melchizedek? Paul makes a very uh, interesting observations of Melchizedek in this passage. And we must remember this is the inspired and infallible word of God. So though we say it's Paul, and some would question whether Hebrews is Paul or not, but we know it is God speaking to us of what is observed concerning Melchizedek. And it's interesting that what is set forth is what is not said about Melchizedek. We read in verse 3 that he is without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Now really that is all drawn from the fact that in Scripture, in Genesis, we don't read of Melchizedek's father, 
or his mother, or his descent, or his birth, or his death. The scripture is silent on all of those things. If you go to Moses, you go to Aaron, you can read to their birth, you can read to their death. But when you come to this type of Melchizedek, you don't. And Paul is saying here there's a significance in this because he is made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. The eternal Son of God. So this is one of the pictures there of Melchizedek. It is a beautiful way that he sets forth uh, the uh, his, his name, King of Righteousness and King of Peace. King of Righteousness and King of Priest, of Peace. What a beautiful titles of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He is our King. He is the Church's King, but described in that way. So we have this order, a descent that no man knows, eternal, one that was before Abraham, one that even Abraham gave tithes to. This is, this is the picture of the order of Melchizedek. And then there's introduced our Lord and he suddenly comes from Judah, of which no mention was made at the altar. They weren't represented there. It's another tribe. And they set before us a significance that God ordered it this way. He didn't say that the Lord Jesus Christ, his eternal son, the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head, should also come through Leviticus. We would think perhaps so. Well, that is the people of God. That's where we would expect him. But that's not where it was, it was told. Judah, thou art he whom thou he should be of Judah. Nation. And here is actually mentioned. And so it's very necessary for us to see there's a very different order here. You might say with, we think of our kings and queens in our land and you can look at the, the order of them, the descent of them. The uh, throne goes from one generation to another and there's a linking through. But wouldn't it be a strange thing if suddenly that was all stopped and there was a king come quite from a different angle and, and put on the throne that had no lineage back through at all. And this is a picture that is here, suddenly presented another high priest. And remember, the Jews were really struggling with this. Remember what they said to the man that had been born blind. They said, thou art his disciple, that is the disciple of Jesus, but we are Moses' disciple. And they looked upon our Lord coming 
to destroy Moses, as opposed to Moses. And it's very necessary that in Hebrews, it is shown that Christ is fulfilling the law of Moses. He's fulfilling the times and he's bringing in a better covenant, a better testament and not conflicting with the two but seeing one as types and shadows, one as the gospel in the day of the Old Testament saints but the other as the true high priest, the true son of God as that which was always to come. And those who are faithful in the Old Testament always looked in to and trusted in, not in their own works and not in their ceremonies or their bloodshedding, but they were those like in Hebrews 11 that walked and lived by faith, by faith in the Son of God. And that is what is so vital for us that we also have a very clear faith in the Son of God and as our High Priest and as our High Priest after the order of Melchizedek, a different order than that of the Levitical priesthood. So I want to look then at the blessings of the New Testament of which Jesus Christ is our High Priest. Firstly, we have set forth that because there is a change of priesthood, there must be then a change of law. Now in verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. So he's inseparably joining the Levites with the Mosaic law. Now, there are some and good commentators, which I disagree with, they, they rule out, as it were, the Ten Commandments, they only confine it to the ceremonial law. But I believe there's no such distinction. I believe Gadsby fully saw it as when the Lord is set forth, it is a whole package, not just part of it. And I believe we can tell this by those things that it says here, Levitical priesthood is not was not perfect, uh, and therefore it needed another one brought in. And when we go back to Paul's epistle to the Romans, it's one verse that was made a real blessing to me when uh, being called by grace and, and as proceeding in faith. In Romans chapter eight. And verse 3, we read, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now, yes, it is the ceremonial law that could not put away sin, but then it says in that it was weak through the flesh. And 
man cannot fulfill the law of God. The previous chapter, Paul is saying, the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. A wretched man that I am. What is he trying to do? He's trying to fulfill the law. By the deeds of the law, no man shall be justified. And we take it as well, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in his life, he fulfilled the law in obedience to the law, but also he brought what the law required. The high priests of the Old Testament had to bring blood, not their own blood, but the blood of bulls and of ghosts, uh, uh, goats, to put away their own sin and then to put away the sins of the people of God. The Lord Jesus Christ shed his own blood, not to put away his sin, he had no sin, but to put away the sins of his people. And it was to fulfil the law, it was to pay the debt that his people owed. Not their debt because they couldn't fulfil the ceremonial law, but the moral law. And it is through that, through the weakness of the flesh, we cannot fulfil that law. And we see the Apostle saying as well in Romans 10, where he longed for the uh, people of Israel to be saved. And he says that they had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And really what he is saying is, they are looking still to the Old Testament dispensation. They are looking to the deeds of the law. He says, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Again, it is looking, where does righteousness come? Where is a sinner justified? By the deeds of the law or by faith? Not by the deeds of the law, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law, who made it honourable, who paid the debt his people owed. And so then he says, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to every one that believeth. And so when we see uh, in, in our text uh, that the order of Melchizedek and the uh, great feature of Melchizedek's priesthood is that there is a change of law who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And it's vital then to be able to see how man is justified, why, how man can be accounted to be free from guilt, free from condemnation. If we go to... Uh, Acts 13, verse uh, 39. Then he says here, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is preached unto you 
the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Sin is the transgression of the law of God, the law of Moses. And by him all that believe are justified or counted free from guilt from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Very clear, the apostle is saying you will not be justified, you will not be free from guilt in that way, in that path. And when he writes to the Galatians, he brings in the same message for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth upon a tree. So we have this picture of Melchizedek and that priesthood and the order of it inseparably joined with a change of that law, a bringing in of an everlasting righteousness, a bringing in of a new testament in Christ's blood, a new covenant, and that covenant is a faith in Christ, what he has done, what he has accomplished, and this same one that has done that is our high priest, our great high priest. Now, we see in verse 22, for by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. A better testament. The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here we have this contrast. You have two testaments, one testament under the Old Testament, a covenant of works, a New Testament, which is a testament in Christ's blood, which we remember at the Lord's Supper. And it is by faith that you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. It's doing remembrance of me. And that faith is by which the people of God are justified, they're saved, not by deeds of righteousness which we have done, but by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing what he has done, trusting what he, what he has done. And that, that is the way uh, that is set before us here in this uh, beautiful time. He's, he says in the opposite way, the other way in, in Romans 10, Moses describeth righteousness which is of the law. The man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. And it is 
uh, not who shall bring Christ down from heaven or, or what heights of, heights of experience we have, nor what depths of experience that bring up Christ from the dead, but it says the word is neither even in thy mouth and in thy heart that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And the whole gospel is in believing in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, seeing clearly, having the Holy Spirit open it up to the understanding, the veil taken off our heart. And this is where the Jews, they could not, and we are told, Paul tells us this, that the veil is over their heart. They cannot see. The election hath obtained it, the rest were blinded. But right when the gospel is preached, this really is the secret of the Lord, which is with them that fear him. A natural man all the time, like the Galatians, they go back and back again to the deeds of the law. They want to fulfil it. They want to earn their way to heaven. They want to feel good, good Christians, good people, people that God will look upon and say, you're not filthy, guilty, evil, hell-deserving sinners. You're not those that in whom is no soundness of flesh, not those that are full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. We, 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 we want to be able to say, well, we've done this and we've done that. Instead of coming like the publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and looking solely to Christ's work. We try to add ours to it. We say, we believe the gospel, but let me do this as well. Uh, let me have my part in it. The hymn writer says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Now hope is all in the Lord and all in our great high priest. So it is a better, a better testament. How better is not relying on our works at all. It is all on Christ. But then we have this beautiful statement as well. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, and he's compared this with those priests, truly they were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man continueth forever. And what news is that for the people of God? He will always be the same. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. An eternal priest. The blessings received from the Lord. He never takes them away. He never changes and once we see and see clearly what he has done for us, that is eternally done. It's never ever to be chained, never to be disannulled, never to be taken away. He will always be the same, bearing the names of his people into the holiest of all. May this be a help to those tossed to and fro, those perhaps losing their assurance, their faith, their comfort. Did Jesus, says the hymn writer, once upon thee shine, then Jesus is forever thine. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? The Lord is he, 
that does not change. I am the Lord, I change not. Wherefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. That covenant is ordered in all things and sure. Here David, the Old Testament, David that could look past the types and the shadows that could, as in that Psalm 110, see his Lord. And he says, Although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. And this is all my salvation, all my desire, though he make it not to grow. He could see his house, his self, his life. His life was not so. It was marred by sin. But even though that was so, there was a covenant ordered in all things and sure, no weak link in it, and just suited to sinners. M. Ryder says again, sinners can say, and none but they, how precious is the Saviour. So then we have in verse 25, again, a beautiful statement. May Lord give faith and lay hold on that this evening. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Ever liveth. Save unto the uttermost. Nothing that they need he cannot supply. The blood is there. The righteousness is there. His keeping, his love, his mercy, his peace, his grace. Everything is bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. And so we have our Lord lifted up, exalted here. And may we see the, the plan of the Lord, the whole aim, right through the Old Testament. Paul says in another place, the law was a schoolmaster unto Christ. He's to help us, to understand, to teach us, to point us to him. But having come to Christ, we don't need to go back unto the law again. Yes, only as it illustrates, but we're not under that law. It doesn't condemn us. It doesn't require anything of us for salvation. By the law is the knowledge of sin, and there is a curse of those who turn away their ears from hearing the law. The law has its, its purpose, and the law is part of the holy word of God. And if you and I uh, are called, then... The Lord uh, says through Paul that ye are bought with a price, wherefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are his. And Paul, when he writes to uh, the Romans in chapter 6, he counters that misuse of the doctrine of grace by saying, shall we sin that grace might abound? Or shall we break the moral law of God because we're not under it and because we don't need to fulfil it to obtain salvation? Shall we just say, well, we're saved by grace. It doesn't matter how we live. He says, God forbid. If we are dead to sin 
and dead therein, buried with Christ, risen again in newness of life, why then are we slaves to sin? Know ye not that ye are servants to whom ye obey, but ye are obeying with a completely different spirit, with a completely different idea, underneath the law and without truly knowing Christ, we're doing everything with the thought of earning our way to heaven. When we see clearly what Christ has done, what we do, we do from love's sake. And because we hate sin, and because we want to live in communion and fellowship with the Lord, but we know that Christ, he has purchased heaven, and he is there in the presence of God, appearing for us as a complete token I have fulfilled the law, I made it honourable, I pay the debt for these my people, these whose names are upon my breast and upon my shoulders, these for whom I stand at the right hand of God. And God looks at him, not on his people. He sees in Christ a perfected people, a complete people, a people that are completely redeemed and justified, are to be found in him, not having our own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is of faith of Jesus Christ. And so we have this beautiful illustration of the order of Melchizedek. And there's a lot of doctrine, there's a lot of precious truths bound up in, in this, this chapter and this, this teaching here. This is why with the uh, Gospel standard we, we are clear on this, that a believer is not under the law. He's delivered from the law. He has a high priest and that high priest has a different law and that is the Law of faith, it is the New Testament in his blood. We are not without law, but we do not put the law as a rule of life, but the gospel as a rule of life. The law is a rule of life, part of the word of God, but our line, our whole direction in life is under our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the love of Christ constraineth us. And we walk as a child. We walk as those that are free and set loose from the condemnation and curse of the law. And it's a thing that William Gadsby used to contend for so strongly. And it's a precious truth. And, and I love it as set forth uh, in, in this type of Melchizedek. And it is that which is our hope for heaven and our hope beyond the grave. It's a hope right through time that our Lord lives as our great high priest above, unchangeable. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. May the Lord add his blessing and grant that we might clearly see what the Lord is setting forth before us here. See our Lord Jesus Christ in this order of Melchizedek. Amen.